0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump,
1: uh, this episode we talk all about how to avoid training plateaus. Now that part of the episode starts after about 20 minutes. In the first 20 minutes, we're just having a good time talking about a lot of fun stuff. We start out by talking about grass-fed beef and other delicious meats from mm. Butcher Bo- Butcher Box. Uh, they are one of our sponsors. If you go to butcherbox.com forward slash mind pump, you'll get, ready for this, free bacon and yes. $20 off for the first uh, two months. Pretty awesome. Then we talked about a study on cannabis. My, this one blew my mind. Apparently, cannabis can cause paranoia. Can't even believe <laughs> Stop they it. they did a study on right that. right there. Then we talked about the Bird Box Challenge. Don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. And we talked about a study done on mice talking about uh, recovery, how active recovery is probably superior to just taking time off. And that was the 20-minute intro. The rest of this was talking all about how to change your training stimulus so that you don't plateau, aside from not working out, like not being consistent. mm mm-hmm. Probably the biggest problem that people run into is plateauing because their body just stops responding from the workout, and it's super frustrating. You're working your butt off in the gym. You're training really, really hard. You got great results for the first few months, and now nothing at all, and it feels like you're wasting your time. Like, why am I going to the gym if my body's not changing anymore? It's not because you're not working out hard. It's mm. because you're not doing the right stuff. Um, so you will enjoy this episode. Also, MAPS Anabolic, that's our flagship program. It's a great program for people who want to build their metabolism. So, if you have a slower metabolism, you want a faster metabolism so you can get leaner easier. If you want to build muscle, sculpt your body, get strong, it's a great program to get started with. It's 50% off all month long. So, half off. The total price is half off. Just go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code RED50. So, that's RED50 without a space. For fifty percent off. Also, there's a new version being released soon. It's going to look really, really nice. If you have Maps Anabolic now, or if you enroll in Maps Anabolic this month, everybody yeah. who has everybody's
2: it, getting the new version.
1: The new version automatically, you're going to get that automatically at no additional cost. And and we, we do that with all of our programs. Um, and we do have a lot of other programs also on our site, MapsFitnessProducts.com. So for my for my kids' school, you can get. I don't know if your guys' school does this, Justin, but they have these gift cards. That you can get for like stores, like Whole Foods, Safeway, whatever. And through getting them, I guess the school gets like a donation or something. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if they do that.
2: I knew they had that for Amazon and they had like a link back to where they could get uh, some money to kind of contribute to yeah, the school.
1: So, yeah. So my kids' schools, like, they're like, oh, minimum for like four grand or something ridiculous like that. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. But luckily, it's a bunch of places I would go anyway. You can get gas, cards, and all that stuff. So anyway, that's mm. not the story. The, the, I, I bought a bunch for. Whole Foods and Safeway because I go there all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And do you have to buy that all up front for the for, it, for the well, year? Oh, for the year. Yeah, you- but I bought them all full front, and I just keeping all these gift cards and and I use them because I use I go to these places anyway, like gas. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, she goes and she buys um, grass fed steak from uh, Whole Foods, and she made it, and she's she's actually becoming a pretty good cook, so she makes a pretty good dish. And I'm eating it, and it tasted. Grass fed meat a lot of times has that gamey taste to it. And I yeah. didn't know that she bought it from Whole Foods. So but I'm eating gamey it. Gamey and extra tough. Yeah. So I'm eating it. And usually the meat that we get is from Butcher Box. Right. And so I'm like, why is this? Why does this taste kind of funny? I'm like, did you leave this out? Like, what's going on? She's like, oh, this is from Whole Foods. And I completely, because I'd been eating Butcher Box for so long, I, it was good to have that contrast because I think Butcher Box does the best job for. Mm. Grass-fed. Grass-fed, yeah. it doesn't have the same, you know, like corn-fed meat's got that that flavor that everybody loves, Have right? you gone
2: through all the different types of cuts
1: that they offer? M- most of them. The only one I haven't done is the stew meat one, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Have you done that
2: one? I have not done that one yet either, yeah, actually. Um, but I'm just, I'm just ordering the chicken. I haven't done like the full chicken uh, yet. And just to give that a try, because I've just kept it all pretty much. A full chicken? Steak, yeah. So you get a whole chicken. And
1: what are you going to do with that? Bake it? Yeah, there's all kinds of dishes you're, you can make. You're show, it to hey, your, yeah. show it to your chickens, and get them to, to be- <laughs> act right. Hey, hey, hey lay let's some just eggs. hold it up over yeah. the. Lay
3: some, the some eggs. Coop. Yeah. Does this
1: look familiar? Yeah. But I mean, it, 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 the contrast, because I haven't eaten grass fed meat that wasn't Butcher Box in a long time. I mean, I've gone to people's houses and eaten other meat, but nobody ever buys. Grass fed because it's expensive, whatever. I
3: always gotta explain that to people when I turn them on to eating grass fed. It's like if you're if you're buying it because you think it's going to taste better than the shit that's corn fed and, and full of shit, like it's not gonna taste Mm-mm. taste yeah. better. That's what made Butcher Box so special was for the that was the first time I had grass fed beef that I was like, Oh, this is actually really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Their ribeye is what I that's the one I that's the one I always eat. Yeah. Is the ribeye that they have.
2: No, so, I don't know because we ordered Salmon as well. So they they actually have. Salmon. I do their
3: chicken too. Their chicken, their bacon. How
2: do their, you like
1: the chicken? Cause I love. I haven't it. Tried it
2: yet? Oh, I love yeah.
3: it. Yeah, what's well, the? I, I love their chicken. So we, the chicken, and then the the ribeyes, and then also what's they call the the filet cut different. What's it called? Do you remember the name of it, Doug? Oh, yeah. It's
0: it's the top cap. Or cap. something yes, like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. So
3: we order that a lot, which mm. is basically just a filet. It's a filet cut. You mm. know. So
1: I did. We we do this thing now with chicken where. Because you know, I don't. I try not to eat gluten because I sometimes have a sensitivity to it, and Jessica's now finding that she she does as well. So she bought this uh, this panko. Bread crumbs that were gluten free.
3: Yeah, we always use those.
1: Just the blue, the gluten free ones. Yeah, we do that with, uh, and that's
3: how we bread our like our fish and stuff. It's so good on what's fish. It, what's the
1: brand? It's, it's the, Panko. No, but it's uh, yeah, but isn't it uh, Udi's?
3: Is it Udi's? Oh, I don't know. I thought Panko is the Panko is not the name
0: of the brand. No,
1: I think Panko is the style. Oh, of, am gonna... I right, Doug? Is it the style of breadcrumbs? It's cr- actually
0: Panko, oh. which is. <laughs> <laughs> Pa, pon pon means bread in Japanese, and ko means small pieces of bread, basically. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so panko. It's Actually, panko. So
1: anyway, we bought some uh, gluten-free panko, <laughs> and uh, and she just she breaded the chicken in it, and she added her own seasoning yeah, yeah. and shit because mm. she wanted to make that's bomb. She wanted to make uh, chicken parmigiana, and uh, and then of course we ma- we have the homemade sauce that we make every year at my mom's house. Put that on there. Ooh. Oh, oh, dude, shit. I ate. <laughs> you didn't invite me over. Bro, I ate – I'm not making this up. This is not a, this is not a joke. I ate about, a. I don't know, almost two pounds of chicken by myself. Wow. Yeah, just ate a whole bunch of chicken. So good, wow. though. And then I farted, and a, a feather came out. That was hey. actually
3: – that's like a staple uh, go-to when I was competing because it it's really – when you look at the, the macro breakdown on that, it's really not bad at all. Mm. It really isn't. And no, it's, it's ta- not. And it tastes – it gives you this feeling like you're getting like a fried piece of chicken or a fried piece well, of fish. Well, how do you guys do it? Do you guys bake it? So we do the – she does the fish.
1: But Now, do you guys bake it or do you guys pan-fry it? Pan-fry it. Okay, so that's what she did with the chicken. So what she did with the chicken is she pan-fried it, which I got another interesting factoid, pan-fried it, but didn't cook it all the way through that way. Just fry, fry, and then puts the skillet uh, in the oven Mm. and then bakes it. Mm. So it's not like deep-fried. It's just, Mm. you know what I mean? And then puts it under – it comes out really good. So here's the thing. We we were having this conversation about uh, frying, and Jessica's like, you you know – what oil should I use? And my mom's like, use olive oil. And She's like, no. I heard you're not supposed to cook with olive yeah, oil I at can, high temperature. This right. and that. So I asked, um, uh, what's uh, Max? Max Lugavir, because he had told me a while ago that it's really not that big of a He said, first of all, he said frying isn't good regardless. He said, but the one the the fats you want to stay away from are the processed vegetable oils. He says, uh, you know, a, a quick fry in olive oil, not that big of a deal. So her and I went back and forth, and I texted him about it. And he said, "I'll read you what he said, because I, I thought like you should never yeah, cook no, with high temperature." I've
2: been told that yeah, multiple times.
1: Yeah. So he said, um, he said, he said, no, it's most. He says it's 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 still stable. He said there's still a, s- a certain percentage of saturated fat in there, and he says plus uh, extra virgin olive oil has antioxidants to protect it. So he says he thinks that it's largely a myth that was perpetrated by seed oil companies. Oh, wow. really? Yeah. So I don't think you More should foul deep, play I don't think you should here. deep fry in olive oil. Yeah. He didn't say that, but he's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's got antioxidants in it. It's not like you're Oh, that's it into-
3: interesting cuz I've heard that a lot.
1: Yes, huh. same. So, it's the it's the other stuff you don't want to use to, you know, like grapeseed oil and shit like that that you want to stay away from. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, so uh I got a study here that's going to blow your mind. Ooh. You guys ready for this? I love let's it, hear it that happens. This is, uh, you know, how every once in a while they publish a study that, uh, after you you read the title, you go, "Really? Did you guys really have to do a study?" Them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Like the last one you did about women. Yeah, that they're yeah. mean to each other. Yeah.
1: So this was this was a study uh, published uh, in the Guardian in the psychology section. Doug actually shared it in our our team group text. Oh, group I think everybody. I looked at this one. Yeah, this is the title. Ready for the title? Oh, yeah. Here. yeah. Cannabis really can trigger paranoia. Oh yeah, I yeah. saw this. One. Apparently, <laughs> a, a large study. It's confirmed, everybody. On the effects of THC suggests, I like how they put "suggests" just to be safe that it can cause paranoia in vulnerable individuals. Why do Why do we even spend money on studies like this? I don't.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I
1: don't. I I don't get it.
2: I think (laughs) it's like I mean, anybody who's smoked, especially for the first time, I mean, that's that's the big concern. It's like it's back in the day. I remember, like, there was no Mm. such thing as like. Dosing, so you just like take a, as massive a hit as you possibly could, <laughs> and it was just I mean, it was anxiety city, mm. you know. That was like what I steered me away from it forever.
1: If you have, if you're somebody who's, who uses a lot of cannabis and you have anxiety, I probably think, not a good yeah, idea, gonna you, hype it up. I think you should probably reduce your cannabis consumption. To, <laughs> yeah, you know, we had uh, what's that guy's name from Leafly? God, ah, I forgot his name, we just had him on the show. Uh, Will uh, yes thank you
0: this is his last name I can't think of it right
1: uh, let, let us know Doug because I want to make sure we, we say his name right um, good guy right really really good guy but he said yeah he goes cannabis doesn't cause paranoia it's just the the fear of getting caught with it that causes paranoia I've heard stoners say that before not saying that he's a stoner um, but I think he would say he is right self-proclaimed or whatever that's not true. Of course it of course it causes that shit in some people. Like yeah. any any substance I that- think what his
3: statement was that it's perpetuated though by the all the other stuff that you could get caught that it, it's it's a drug you're taking. So I think it's heightened because of that. Mm. Because I know that the first time that I the first really bad experience like that I had with it um I mean it freaked me out and absolutely I would say 100% causes paranoia. Now being somebody who's used it for several years now, I've been beyond that level of high before and totally comfortable with it because I'm comfortable with the feeling. Like, so a lot of it is...
1: Have you ever gotten to a place mm -hmm. though where you'll you'll use... We'll we'll hide. Thank you, Doug. You ever get to a place though where you'll use it and let's say you're you're kind of stressing over something and you're a little worried or whatever, and then you have some and then it just makes those those thoughts worse has ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. That no, happens to me.
3: No, I absolutely. Think. So I, I, I do agree that it does create it. But I also believe, you know, in his defense that, you know, a, much of that is cre- we have cre- we create ourselves. Like, sure. The, to, and that's what perpetuates that feeling of paranoia. And the more that you become comfortable and okay with this, yeah. this well and thing. it was illegal you
2: know and so there is that element to right. it where you're trying to be sneaky and it's you know going into
3: it so i'm sure that can right change. and you think you're thinking everybody thinks you're high right like oh yeah God, i don't want i don't want, people <laughs> I
1: don't to, want know. to talk to my parents right now ah! yeah yeah so no <laughs> it's yeah. so funny but i think that the thing that i that i said in the thread that i want to communicate is true for what i'm about to say is true for any substance. That has an effect on you. If if something has an effect on you, then it literally affects you. And that means that a lot of things are not off the table. Everything's kind of on the table. So it's, you know, when someone's like, oh, caffeine can't do this to you. Well, it definitely has an effect on you. And we don't know how your body chemistry is reacting, your state of mind, the context. A a lot of these, these things can affect you in a lot of different ways. And so to say that something will never cause... You know, because I've heard people say that before. Oh no, it relaxes me. It'll never make anybody anxious. Well, it does something to you, obviously. Yeah. So, in the right individual with the right circumstance, because I've had some situations where <laughs> most terrifying situations of my life yeah, were yeah. with cancer. Oh yeah,
2: or you get like news and you're and you're high at the time that that's like it, it makes you just like oh, freak out. Like it's gonna in- intensify that whole that yeah. whole news that oh, process. Man. Like oh my <laughs> god, I, did you I guys
1: did you guys end up watching uh, Bird Box yet?
2: No, I haven't. I've heard it's. Mm. I heard it's like really creepy, but it's not super scary. Which I've been trying to sell this to Courtney because I know, like we we watched Hill House. Seriously, one of my favorite shows of last year. So smart. I thought they yeah, killed it was, that it was show. Very smart. Amazing writing. So, and I've heard good things about Bird Box. Do you, where would you compare the two?
1: It's Bird Box is a thriller. More than it is scary. Okay. You know what I mean? Was Hill House scarier? Scar- uh pro- yeah. yeah parts because where you of the ghosts and like stuff. Shit, Have you seen you didn't watch Hill Hawks either? No, no. Oh. You would actually like it. I think you would like it. You would like it. How the fuck do you guys say a
3: statement like that and then follow it up with I would like it? No, 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 no.
2: I, because it's just only there's parts where it's like you know it's coming but or you don't but it's it's I fun. Don't it's not, it's no. not like
3: no. No. Not no, fun. no, no, no. No, it's not fun. I don't like to feel anxious watching a movie. <laughs> have you have you I'm watched sorry, I don't know how many times I gotta say this. Maybe maybe you should
2: uh, reduce uh, your uh, we, we always forget. No.
1: <laughs> sober, high,
2: doesn't matter. Yeah, you gotta watch it cold stone sober. Well let me yeah. ask you this. Yeah. Do, do
1: you do you like movies like um, did you ever watch Seven with uh... Love Seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah So So that movie was a thriller, right? What about um, Silence of the Lambs? Liked it little, little on the well, scary on the edge so, okay. there, yeah. You're, there. You're,
3: that part in the dark, bro, when he's walking around, that's or when she's walking around in the dark, is one of the yeah, scariest yeah. scenes of all you'll, movies. You'll, you'll, oh, <laughs> no, you'll
1: like Hell House yeah. be, and Bird Box because the writing is so good and it's along those lines. you that's why you'll like them, but anyway, in this movie Bird Box, highly recommend. I think they did an excellent job. They oh, here side note uh, Jessica was getting her haircut, and this the kid was, uh, was talking about Bird Box, like, yeah, the. The lead woman in there, man, she did such a good job and who is this actress? It's like Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Come on, you know Sandra
2: Bullock? Yeah, yeah. No, he already. She uh, was irrelevant. in his 20s. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: That's hilarious. She's like, You never watched Speed? He's like, Huh? Yeah. So, anyway, um, uh, the. This congeniality? Hello? It, in the movie, they're blindfolded throughout a lot of the movie. I'm not going to tell you why, but they have to move around. And it was, well, they
2: tell it in the trailer, so it's not like it's. Yeah, spoiler. but you don't know why. Okay, you don't know right, why that, right. that is. Fine.
1: It, which is part of the writing, which I thought was brilliant because it was a great way to add that element oh. of. All like, right, I'm, oh, I'm, shit. I'm more interested now. Super good. But anyway, in the movie they have to move around blindfolded outside and they have to find their way around So now you've got a bunch of idiot of course we're in the Tide Pod generation. You've got a bunch <laughs> of idiots now who are oh, doing the bird man. box uh <clears throat> challenge.
2: Oh God. So what like what are the stipulations with this? What are like so obviously they're wearing a blindfold, but what are they trying to do while they're wearing uh, a blindfold?
1: Anything. Any just any any reason yeah, to do it? Drive the car? No. Walk around? Do things outside? Yeah, driving. Because in the movie they have to drive blindfolded. Also, um, a couple parts. So they, so people are treated wow. to the birth. Yeah,
2: people yeah. are so smart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you is gonna happen? That's like Ghost Riding
2: the Whip. Remember that whole no, thing no, where totally. they would like no. step out of their car. That's why if-
3: I guess I guess when I roll my eyes like that, I, I try not to sound like or look or sound like the old like guy, the old right? The old yeah. guy because we did a lot of stupid shit in our generation yeah, too. Yeah, we Did and I think that I think we just makes us sound old when we think about. What did we do
1: that was different? That dumb though. Well,
3: Justin, just name one. I remember yeah. Ghost Ride the Whip. Yeah, That's not was.
1: our generation. I mean, sure it was. No, it was it that it was, was the tail end of it. It was the tail end of it. it was Ghost ride the whip was not. It, that was what like we two thousand and five we, maybe. It was was it. it?
2: I feel like it was like the 90s. You, uh, no, it wasn't. Doug, like, look nine, up Ghost Ride nine, the Whip.
3: 99, maybe.
1: 99? No, it's after 99. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's after high school. 2000, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's probably right.
3: it's, it's after high school, but I mean, that's still considered our general. I was I listening to that song. Yeah. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? I listened to that song. Yeah. I definitely, on my way from the clubs. I mean, yeah. I remember that, you yeah. know? And I remember a bunch of people in front of us doing that at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There it is, Ghost Riding. What year is it, Doug?
1: It. Yeah, let's find out. Cause uh, I don't remember. Yeah, that anything
3: one. with cars and motorcycles
1: or like doing these tricks no is always
3: a bad idea. Mm. But yeah, we did. Dude, does that st- we did that say 2006? We yeah, I just said that. But I don't know if it said that's when it started. Yeah, yeah we did. We did. Very uh, close, Sal. And it's, it's so think about it, how old go, were you? Two- there you go, Doug. Ghost ride the whip. Right? Does was it say 2006? Yeah. How old were you guys at wow. 2006? Sixteen.
1: No, no 99 <laughs> was when we graduated from high
3: school so that's 7 years out of high school so you're 26
1: right. Yeah so you're in your tw- you're in your mid 20s by yeah. that point you're not really it's not your generation anymore yeah. right Yeah fair enough
3: Yeah our generation didn't do Well what then mean? again it kind of is though cuz you can't drive till you're 16 so mm-hmm. you know you're not ghost riding the whip but at- Thirteen, <laughs> you yeah.
1: have to be at least. Yeah, you 16. gotta have at least.
2: A driver's See, I feel lesson.
3: like sixteen to twenty five would be the the generation. So we we were right. Like Justin hit it right. We're on the yeah. tail end of that. Yeah,
2: that's we, per, that was pretty. Dumb. Yeah,
3: we were we were on the tail end. Uh, that's just anyway, one thing. That's just lot, one thing. Yeah, yeah there's so plenty of other examples. Of a lot of stupid, stupid shit. We were talking about that. that last pod. that last
2: podcast episode. Yeah, episodes we passing talked. people out and uh, yeah yeah. See, we doing did that. smoking whatever we could find. Yeah, know? I
3: smoked I smoked <laughs> oregano out of a plastic big pin. Out of a plastic <laughs> big pin, we melted the bottom of it and we smoked a. That can be one of the stupidest things we what ever did. What are you even doing? Yeah. yeah,
1: Dude, I wanted to bring up a, a, a fitness study that's kind of interesting. The title of the study, and I'll explain kind of a little bit about what it means, responses of skeletal muscle size and anabolism are reproducible with multiple periods of unloading and reloading. And so what they did is they tested rats where they basically exercised them and then had them stop. Had them exercise, had them stop. It's like they, a little rat wheel. I don't know how they even yeah, work them out. Little, little
2: rat weights. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think that's what it
1: is. But what they found was that collagen concentrations uh, in the muscles uh, changed pretty significantly when they took a long break versus rather than just... Because and, and, when, you, when you take a break and then start up again, your muscles bounce back pretty fast. But what they're saying is when you do that, each time you do that, you increase your risk of injury pretty highly versus... Staying just a little bit active in between, which kind of enforces the idea that we talk about all the time of active recovery. Rather than just taking time off completely, you're probably better off going really easy and really light but still moving, so not doing the whole – not working it out, you know, not working out type of thing. Because when you bounce back, they're saying that that risk of injury goes up now d- it, quite a bit.
3: Is, is was that a study done on like just rats or <laughs> just rats? Okay, yeah, so we don't know, we don't know what. But what well, we've observed, because I feel though. like that would be uh, there would be a major variance between uh, age groups too.
0: Oh,
2: of course,
1: man. right. Like yeah. that, I,
3: I would I would think that would be extremely important as you start to get beyond thirty, forty years old. That you know you're better off at least doing like some active recovery mobility. Like I'm thinking about myself right now. Like that's something that I've done. I I haven't been on my rigorous training program, Mm -hmm. but I've definitely still moving weights, still doing mobility type exercises and drills. And because I know, like, if I don't, I lock and stiffen up. And
1: well, what it makes me think about—it's not is, a kid
3: anymore. I'm not playing on a playground anymore. I'm playing pickup basketball, I'm not doing these things that I think that would promote that that you typically do when you're in your teens. Well,
1: and, what it makes me think about is you know how they they say that when uh, people go on a, a cycle of anabolic steroids and their muscles get really strong and big, that their risk of injury goes up because all of the connective tissue and mm-hmm, ten- mm-hmm. tendons and all the other tissues that need to strengthen right. take longer. So the muscle gets real strong and big faster than the support structures can keep up. I've, I've and always so- wondered
2: about that, yeah. Because I've wondered about people taking anabolic steroids, and I've always heard ligaments, uh, you know, not being able to grow at the same pace as you know the muscles, and mm-hmm. why you know why that is. Is it, is it low like, blood flow? Yeah, I was gonna say a, a blood flow issue, or
1: yeah, and muscles hypertrophy. Faster than tendons and ligaments can, or at least uh, uh, when you take anabolic steroids. Now, here's the thing: when you exercise, let's say you gain, let's say you've worked out for two years consistently, you do a really good job, you eat a good diet, you gain 15 pounds of lean body mass, right? You put 15 pounds of muscle on your body, which is a lot. And then, let's say you just totally stop working out for four or five months, you're going to lose. You'll lose that 15 pounds of muscle in a pretty quick period. What, what, what it made it, it might have took you a year and a half to gain it. It'll be gone in, in in four or five months of total deactivity. But then when you go back to working out, it's not going to take you a year and a half to gain that muscle back. It comes back really fast. Like we've all experienced muscle memory. So my question or what it makes me think about is maybe the muscles bounce back fast, but then the tendons and ligaments take long to come back. So they don't keep up at the same pace, which is why taking these breaks and then working out may not be as good as At least maintaining some form of activity. Do you see Hmm. what I'm saying? Hmm. That's my that would be my theory. I don't know. What
2: do you uh, you think about maybe? uh, I I don't know. This is just total speculation of like the style of training in terms of like people that are on anabolic steroids and doing like very concentric focused you know type lifts and um, you know aren't really incorporating mobility and blood flow to the joints quite as much.
1: I, I think the 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 faster you progress and the stronger you get, the more important uh, mobility is. I mean, obviously, you're, you're, there's more output, more power, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, but, I just uh,
2: in terms of like getting blood flow, like that could increase the potential to you know have them be affected.
1: Well, we we incorporate like split. You know, map split was a was a pretty much a bodybuilder routine. Yeah, and we made sure to put one day of of just mobility work. Right, because um, two oh, well two things. First off, an injury. Nothing will make you lose your gain, you know. Nothing will 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 get in the way of your gains or progress more than an injury. That's the worst possible thing that can happen. And then number two, being being able to move through wider ranges of motion with good control is only going to contribute to your to your ability to build more muscle. Mm -hmm. So it's it's, the irony of that, of course, is bodybuilders do the least amount of mobility, right? uh, But they probably they will benefit from it just like any other athlete, even for their sport, which is just to look good, you know. That actually brings me on a, on another topic. Um, Want to see if you guys wanted to kind of talk about on this episode? I did a post just now um, on Instagram, and um, every once in a while I'll 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 do a post and you'll I'll just see that it it kind of hits a nerve, and gets a lot of attention real quick. And so the post that I did the the, the was it was just a words right? I just wrote some words on a meme or whatever, and it said muscle building rule number one: almost everything works but nothing works forever. And so the case that I made in the post that a lot of people seem to be sharing is how, you know, if you took if you took all accepted uh muscle building techniques, like the, the all the accepted ones, not the crazy ones, but all the kind of accepted ones, they all they'll all have an effect, especially on somebody who's never done them before. They're all going to build muscle. Mm-hmm. But there isn't a single one, if it was just done all the time the same all the time that will always work. Your body will eventually yeah plateau um with anything doesn't matter well and i
2: think that really is like sort of the root of the problem of what we see in terms of like everybody being so fervorous about their specific modality and their camp and uh because there is that initial uh reaction or progress or you know what they found in terms of like getting some kind of results and success uh, but yeah, exactly. There, there, there is a shelf life to that. If that's your only, uh, driving force.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, before we get into kind of what that looks like and, and, you know, why that works and why you need to change things up, I think it's important that, cause I, I think a lot of people now have heard that you need to mix things up. You need to confuse the muscles. I hate when they say that. And, um, I think we should talk about the wrong way to do it because I see a lot of people who are like, oh, I go to the gym and it's different every single time. I work out. That was me.
3: Yeah. That was me for a long time. And the hard thing is to convince someone like me during that time that it was wrong because I built decent muscle, I looked pretty good, felt pretty damn good. And so if you were to come to me and say, Hey, what you're doing is not ideal or it's not right, I would pretty much tell you to fly a kite. Um, and I, and I think that's the problem that a lot of people are in right now. If you're not somebody who's beginning and just totally oblivious to what, what you're doing, if you're somebody who's been training for years, I think this is one of the common mistakes to Justin's point. I think that so at one point in your fitness journey, you try out some modality or training philosophy and you see great change or you see a great response. Your body is – you become the the best shape or the best version that you've ever seen of yourself. Therefore, someone trying to tell you that that's not ideal or that's not working or there's other things out there you should incorporate. Yeah,
1: because you're identifying. You're like, well, it worked for me.
3: Right, yeah. I mean, there's no way Sal's going to convince me to stop training this way because this I've seen myself in the best shape of my life doing this. The reality of it is, there is there is a there is a better way to do it, and you know I, I definitely learned that firsthand after many years of training this way with the you know quote unquote muscle confusion type mm-hmm. of uh, idea of lifting, where I every time I in fact I used to brag about this. I used to say to people that you know I've never duplicated a workout. You know, every time I come in and lift, it's never looked exactly the same. I'm constantly shocking my body and throwing a new adaptation at it, which, you know, that's really silly when you think about it. If I wanted to see maximum gains, uh, I I should have phased it and I I should have been more. And when I started to do that, wow, what a difference did that make? So there is some truth. To, and there's some benefits to the, the, the muscle confusion type of theory that, that people apply where they're changing their workout all the time because, yes, the body's going to be challenged. Yes, you're going to burn all these extra calories. Yes, you're stimulating muscle. Yes, you're going to see results from that. But there is a much more methodical approach that will result in better results if, if you can structure your workout.
1: Well, so I'm experiencing this a, a little bit right now. So something that I just recently started doing my training that I haven't done in a long time, um, is uh, trained to failure. Now I know uh, we've said many times on the show, train to failure is too much intensity for most people most of the time, and we always say that most people most of the time. But it is a novel stimulus uh, every once in a while, and you have to you know you modify the other um, you know variables, right? So if I go to failure, my volume goes way down. Mm-hmm. Rather than doing you know three set uh, three sets of three exercises for a body part, for example, which would be nine total sets. I'll do three exercises, one set to failure of each exercise. So I've cut the volume way down, but now my intensity's through the roof. And because I haven't do it, done it in a, in a long time, my body, my body starts to see results. But here's the thing with this. is, And this is the way I explain it to people. When you look at a variable in exercise or, or training, whether it be rep ranges, uh, rep tempo, even the exercises themselves, so like different movements for legs or chest or back, um, whether, whether, you know, you different kinds of splits, like there's a, there's a lot of different variables, but those are the main ones that I, I just named, you know, number of sets, all that stuff. When you look at those variables, look at them in terms of their potential. And there's an upper limit of potential that you can achieve through each of those variables. And there's a lower limit of potential. And in order to reach the upper limit of potential for any variable, you have to do it long enough to where you at least adapt to the point where you can maximize that variable. So what I mean by that is a very easy example. Let's say I always train in the very low rep ranges. Let's say I never go above five reps, and I've just been doing it for years. And then I hear this podcast, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm supposed to mix things up. Let me try training in the 20-rep range. The first couple weeks of doing 20 reps, you're not able to push 20 reps very hard because you're out of gas, You're not able to do it well, so you're not able to squeeze out the maximum potential of those 20 reps. Now, let's say you do the 20 reps for four months. Well, not only did you get good at it, but your body stopped responding because it's no longer a novel stimulus. And that's, I think, what we need to kind of address because— Well, there's a sweet spot.
3: There is. And there's there's a variance in that sweet spot, and I think this is also— You know, how we came up with that three to four week range with all the programs is that, you know, based off of our experience and knowledge that, you know, most people fall in that range of three to four weeks that they want to stay with a specific adaptation. That way they break through that. Or initial phase of learning the movement building the stamina getting good at it enough to where they can actually push it mm-hmm. which i think results in the back 3 and 4 week right so week 1 and 2 of a training uh, you know modality is you know, or a phase, whatever your your first two weeks is a lot of learning the movement, getting good at it, building the gas tank. If it's a high rep, like you're saying, if it's a if it's a low rep, then maybe it's more skill driven, getting really good at the skill, summoning the amount of force. Right, necessary. right. Exactly. So getting good at that skill. And then the the weeks three and four is really you're pushing, it, pushing it, maximizing what, what you've been leading up to. And then the mistake that I think a lot of people is they tend to go weeks five, six, seven, and eight because just as they start to get really good at it and see great performance and and physical change from it, they, get, they fall in love with it and then they want to stick with it. But in reality, after they start to see that initial really good change, it would be most ideal for you to kind of phase out of
1: it. That's the hardest part. The hardest part is knowing when to phase out of a particular style of training or whatever variable you're messing with. Because our tendency is to phase out when we stop progressing. So it's like, I'm doing so good in these low reps, I'm just going to stay here mm-hmm. until my body stops responding. Well, usually what it looks like is you stay in the low reps, then you have a week where you don't add more weight, and then you think, I'll try again next week. And then you have another week where you don't hit the new weight, and you're like, well, one more week, I'm going to try one more time. Then you okay, fine, I need to get out of this phase. Well, now you've plateaued hard for three weeks Getting out of a plateau is like getting out of a hole. Once you hit that plateau, you're in a little bit of a hole, and the hard, the longer you start, you stay in that hole, the harder it is to come out to oh, the yeah. point where if I have somebody who's been in a hole for a long time just driving their body, not responding, sometimes I got to give them two or three weeks of deloading before I move them into something else. Uh-huh. Ideally, you want to move out of – you want to change your routine right after the peak of your progress. So if I'm in a new rep range and I'm hitting PRs and I feel amazing – and the next week I work out, and I still do better, but I notice it's starting to slow down. Right around that time is when you might want to consider changing phases. And for most people, that looks like three, five weeks, maybe six weeks, depending That's on the individual. What, I would say three to six. Yeah. I would
3: say max six. Very few people you're going to see you know, continuing to hit PRs beyond week six uh, of a training phase. And three is on the lower end of your body. So I think most of the programs that we've set up are, are staged around three because it's not going to hurt you to move right. on sooner, you know what I'm saying, right. if you move away from it. It's, there's more bad things that happen by prolonging it. Prolonging it is when you start to notice the hard plateaus, the aches that you start to get—that that there's tend to and risk of okay. injury. And you
2: press it more because you get more confident in you know the the newly acquired skill, and so you're you're going for those PRs, and that's you know where we get susceptible to to you know injury or anything mm-hmm. like that. So the
1: other thing too is, uh, you know, if you're if let's say you're 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 doing an elimination diet for yourself, and you're trying to figure out what the fuck is bothering me? why do i have you know the skin issue or why am i getting headaches or why do i have gut issues? the way an elimination diet works is you eliminate all the variables and you introduce one variable at a time so that you can identify the culprit, right? you don't just throw a bunch of shit at yourself and then you don't know what the fuck's working, what's not working, and right. what's going on. this is how you should approach your training. and it's not to figure out what's working and what's not working, Really, it's to maximize each of these variables. So what I mean by that is the one of the best ways to change up your routine, and this isn't the only way because there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but one of the best ways I like to do is I like to work on one variable at a time. Right. So I'm changing the reps. I'm going to keep all the same exercises, and then I'm changing exercises, and then I'm going to focus on a different adaptation, maybe it's right. mobility. And then, the rest. Yeah, and you can start messing with these things and seeing – how your body responds. It's also important to note that some variables can stay in longer than others. Rep ranges, you tend to move those in and out of those every 3 to 6 weeks. Exercises sometimes last for a long time. Like and why? Because there's such a there's such a learning curve, there's such a skill acquisition process. Well, not
3: just that, but there's also huge carryovers from certain movements, i.e deadlifting, squatting, right. bench press, overhead press. Right. Those are staple movements that should pretty much stay in your program almost forever right. because and we, we we've touched on this a little bit on on, on previous shows that you know and this was a, this back to my mistake, right? So take go back 10 years when I was lifting and muscle confusion guy and you know training legs, you know, I I want, first of all I was only training legs one time a week. Uh, maybe two, two was like just well, it would kill me because I was d- going to failure and doing all these things. But you know, I might squat on one of those one of those days, and then I'm leg pressing on another. And then the following week, I'm mm-hmm. doing hamstring curls and leg extensions and machine hack squats, and I'm using every every piece of equipment in there. And maybe in a month's time, I squatted once, maybe twice, mm-hmm. you know, for my legs, and then I did all these other little little movement, isolation type exercises, which is so silly because just simply squatting and doing nothing else has blown my legs up more than anything else. And I could do, you know, half of the time in the gym, just lifting that movement and get, you know, four or five times the gains on my legs, than throwing all these random leg exercises at my legs and killing myself.
1: Right. So then you'll get people who will be like, oh, but I thought you said you should mix it up. Why would you always squat? Right. And one of them is the carryover. But the other one is certain movements require a lot of skill. And you are not going to master the squat and you're not going to hit full plateau on a squat in three to six weeks. It takes years of, of squatting. Yeah. I mean, it took, it, it, I, if I train somebody uh, who's even has normal mobility, I'm not even talking about the average person with terrible mobility, somebody who can kind of move and stuff, and I start squatting with them today. They're not going to be really fucking good at squatting for like 6 months. It takes a while.
3: At least I would push longer than that. I think that you know, I've been squatting my whole my whole lifting career but very infrequently. I've been squatting 2 to 3 times a week for the last 4 or 5 years. I still think I'm making continuous improvements. Right. So uh, depending
1: on the movement, um it, it, you you can keep it in there for a long time because it's such a high skill yeah. movement. Unlike A low skill movement. Is it going to make that big of a difference if I just do barbell curls all the time, or I go do another kind of curl? That's not that. It's not that important. It's low skill exercise. You you master it pretty quickly.
2: And also, I think you know, mastering your energy system, like and being efficient with that, in terms of the principle of specificity. Like I, I believe, like in my opinion, I feel that is one of the principles of training that is has been lost and ha- people have just thrown that concept out even though it's like a proven principle you're you need to specifically tell your body what to do in order for it to adapt accordingly this is the the, the amount of stress that I'm telling my body it, it is needs to overcome in order to get better and more effective at it. it has a certain amount of time you need to teach that to it and not convolute it with Uh, for instance, like making something more of an endurance based exercise. So now I'm upping my rep count while I'm simultaneously doing something for power for a few reps. And so now the body's that muscle confusing is really is it's, it's confusing all the (laughs) energy systems to be efficient and give you what you want. It's like the
3: 80, 20 rule, right? I mean, 80% of your effort, energy, and time should be focused on the things that are going to give you the greatest bang and buck. You know, bang for your buck. The other twenty percent can be done with these, you know isolation, different exercises and variables in your routine. But there should be these core staple movements where most of your time and energy is spent.
1: Now that's a good uh, what you said, Justin, was a good point because uh, I think a lot of times people will think, okay, Monday is heavy day. Tuesday is light, high rep day. Wednesday is mm-hmm. you know speed or whatever. And in my experience, unless you're – and now this isn't true for 100, for everybody. Like if I'm training an MMA fighter, um, if we're off-season, yeah. this is true. But if we're during season, i got to keep them in being able to do all the stuff, right? But for most people, you're better off training in blocks where I'm power. Yeah. I'm going to get good at power. I'm going to wait till my body gets good. I get used to the movements. I get good at them. I can push them. Oh, my progress is slowing down. Now I'm going to move to – you know, endurance, or now I'm going to move to bodybuilding or aesthetic type training. And rather than mixing it all up in the same week where your body has only limited resources and an ability to adapt. Like if I train for endurance and strength at the same time, I'll get a little bit of each, but a lot of neither. Yeah. You know, and it's harder to kind of break apart, again, what's really working well for my body.
2: And then it's it's also hard to manage your recovery because it's it really like it's, sometimes that that might delay the process like it, you might need more recovery than you even realize because like everything is is trying to uh, figure it out like exactly what kind of stress you're inducing like mm-hmm. on a daily basis yeah
1: so, so I, I think you know when you're when you're looking at your workout and your routine and you're trying to wonder why, and, and this is important because I think for a long time now, um, exercise routine programming has kind of lost. People have kind of devalued it. Like, Oh, as long as you're working out hard, does it make a difference? Well, right. cause
3: they've been marketed too differently. Yeah. And it's all I mean, about it's not, your diet. It's, it's, it's all yeah, about your, right. It's so it's, It's not sexy, and we're not told that. We're there's not a lot of money in that. The money is in selling you a a supplement that you're going to try and take. Hey,
1: if you're sweating, you're fine. But if you buy this supplement from us, that'll make all the difference in the world. Right? In my experience, when it comes to building muscle and athletic performance, now fat loss, of course, diet makes a big difference. And if your diet's terrible, it ruins everything. But in my experience. When someone's not getting stronger, and not and they're not improving their performance, and not building muscle, it's their workout. Yeah, it's almost always it's that. A, it's the workout is it's off. And if you're if that's if that's you, you know, if you're listening right now and you're and you've been working out and you think you're doing everything right and you're just plateauing, rather than looking at should I take the next new creatine or should I add more more protein to my diet or should I cut my carbs or maybe I, rather than doing that, look at your workout. And if you if you write your workout out for the last six months and it looks kind of the same. And what I mean by that is same kind of rep ranges, similar tempo exercises kind of look the same. It's not really that different. Change it and then watch what happens. I I mean, I experienced this so many times as a kid trying to build muscle and I never learned my lesson because something would work and I get stuck on that thing. And I think, oh, this is the answer. And I realize, oh, this is not working anymore. I got to try something different. It happened to me the first time I read uh, Mike Menster's Heavy Duty, which you know, told me super high intensity, super low volume. I did that and oh my God, all this muscle. And then I got stuck on that and then that stopped working. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to try this super high volume approach. And then that worked and that stopped. And Mm -hmm. then I'd mess around with rep ranges. And I remember the first time I I really focused on doing sets of like one to three reps, like a power lifter. And I just built all this muscle. Do you
3: you think that more people are like that? Or do you think more people are like how I am? I think that the muscle confusion thing got so popular that there's more people that are like me, because mm-hmm. at least this is what I run into. I talk to a lot of probably a lot of my peers in the physique world and and guys that I know that are trying to build muscle uh, and and girls that are trying to build muscle, and most of them are aware of the importance of changing your routine up, um, but what most of them fall in the category of of, of like me where you were you're changing it up with no rhyme or reason it's just you're throwing new things at the body all the time and mm. you know you let and this is what this is what used to drive me crazy when I was competing is all my my buddies wanted to train with me and I didn't want to train with them because they what the way they decide a workout is they let different guys lead Mm. you know there's three of us I'll do we, that today we all yeah. lift together you know and it's like hey it's chest day and it's like hey Sal you led last time Justin you lead this time yeah. and then Justin just throws his favorite fucking yeah. five exercises at, at, at me and we do it and there's no it's all power based yeah. well yeah it, it <laughs> might be, yeah it might be super setting it might be low rep high rep it doesn't it's not There's. it's just you're trying to get at, get me Yeah, and that's how a lot of these people train inside the gym that's why they like gym partners and they bounce off each other it's your turn to lift now, mm. or your turn to lead and then it's my I turn to lead problem with that is you're throwing all this stuff at it and back to your point and this is what i'm saying what i was saying i would challenge these people to follow a more structured program for three to six weeks well like- it doesn't
2: just stop there and I, that's interesting that y- you know you see that in that world as well but i mean it's very prevalent in boot camps in oh, you know any kind of circuit training crossfit orange theories it's you know, more pre- prevalent it's, it's your average person that's all they know like yeah. They just know that well, I just want to go in. It's like an experience more than it's a specific workout that's going to lead them to a desired goal. I right?
1: remember feeling pressure as a new trainer when I was early on in my career, where I felt like, "Oh, okay, I got to do something new today." Because hundred percent did that work. That was last what time. I
3: always did. I I remember before client walking in, writing programs and what how I wrote programs was solely based off creativity and trying to get them sore or teach them something new. Like yeah, that It sells well. Yeah, it does. That's because they feel that, right? I knew that if I did some weird tricep angled exercise that they'd never done before, I'm i I'm gonna hit a I'm gonna hit a fiber. They have not moved in a long time. And it's gonna get sore. <laughs> sore yeah. And they're gonna feel the next day and they're gonna be like, dang, bro, you got me yesterday. You know? And I'm like, okay, re time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that was really that's how we trained. It was not which is ironic because we all read the books we all have all the certifications i knew better yeah but i also was caught in this trap of what sell, what sells and it, what what gets people to come back is that feeling that they get from a new shocking mm-hmm. workout on their body but it when when i really when, and it took years okay it took years of being a bad trainer doing that to finally becoming more structured about it and then realizing wow when i stick a client in, in a specific phase. And you just got to fight through, you know, if there's a trainer listening right now, you just got to fight through the, the common things that you get from clients, which is, well, we did that last time. Mm-hmm. You know, we already did those. Can we do something different? You know, because you're going to get that. Yeah, that's yeah, what that. you get. And that. And I fell into that trap. Yeah, a well, client would say that to me and then, okay, next time they came in, here we go. Swiss ball balancing one leg up, fucking skull crusher, <laughs> super set it over to a reverse cable kickback. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, you're doing all this shit. I've just done that No, absolutely yeah. done all this weird shit that you're doing just to appease them when you know damn well that that's not what gets them the most results and you just got to be okay. And that's, I mean- we have a very, very low uh, re- return rate for an online program. Um, some of the best I've ever seen numbers-wise. Yet the thing the, the the number one thing that we will get when someone wants a refund on the program is they're normally somebody who has not listened to the podcast for a really long time and understand that we share how we build all these programs. And that's what they're looking for. They get the program. They open it up. They're like, hey, I've seen all these exercises. Yeah. I've I noticed why well, I, yeah. I, I thought this was going to be different. I thought it was going to be stuff I'd never seen or done before. And There's like, no Superman push-ups.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, where are they? Right,
3: <laughs> it's, it's because these are the best movements and they've been around for a very long time. But we've we and I say we as in myself too included is guilty of fucking everybody up by teaching all this weird shit that you know we want to impress as, people as with.
1: a trainer too. But you know your clients don't be afraid. Your clients will actually love seeing themselves get better exercises that they're they've been practicing well, you
3: just s- as much. You say this a lot, Sal, really well, which is, you know, stop looking at, you know, exercise like that and you're and you're trying to figure out the, you know, the sweat and the mirror and the scale from it, but look at it as like a a skill that hey i'm getting better at that That's movement right. like that was i was really shaky the first time and my form was really off and i i didn't feel comfortable and like i'm feeling more comfortable and i'm dropping in the hole better and i you know
1: because like, at first i used to like really wow clients with just different shit all the time and mm-hmm. then as i learned I would wow them with you're getting better at these things that we're practicing. And I would tell them like, "Okay, mm-hmm. I know for the last 4 weeks we've been doing kind of this heavier type training. Now I'm going to move you into what's called supersets and we're going to do that for the next 4 weeks. I'm going to get you good at that." And that's how we would I would block my training and they'd get way better results and people like to see themselves progress at things that they that they've been practicing and it's actually better than than always, you know, mixing it up is that practice. But like anything, like anything, the the whole variable muscle confusion principle, whatever you want to call it, that also can be abused, and that's what we're talking about. It it can be taken too far to the point where that's all you do all the time. Bodies don't progress that way. They just don't. They don't progress well that way. It takes no. too long to get good at something to get real to really reap the benefits. I know I, I we were watching a a long a while ago. I think it was like two months ago. Uh, uh, Instagram uh, post by one of our good friends Ben Pollock, who's uh, Strong dude, uh, incredible physique. I was just watching his videos uh, this morning. Beast, yeah. super strong dude, super uh, incredible physique. Uh, great guy too, really nice guy. Crazy amount of squat, you know, squat weight that he can lift eight hundred pounds. He was just crazy eight hundred pound squat. Yeah, dude. insane strength. Yeah. Like two or three months ago, he posted a video of himself doing backstep lunges, and he said in the, in the in underneath it, "I never do these. I've never like I've, I haven't done these in <laughs> you years." you See it. And he had 135 pounds on the bar. Yeah, a guy worked. who
3: squats 800 pounds. Yeah.
1: And you could see that he's struggling, not because the weight's heavy, no. but because he never does, does that exercise. Now, what do you think will happen to a guy like that when he sticks to the backstep lunge well, and practices it? Well, to your right. point,
3: again, Kate, okay, and, and think if he only does that once or twice and then moves on from it.
1: Not
0: a
3: lot of benefit going to come from that. No. None. And if you compared it to your 800-pound squat and that's all you were comparing it to, like, yeah, of course that, that movement doesn't. you got to do that for a good four to six weeks minimum especially get it. and get good at it before you start to see major this was uh I, you know what movement uh, taught me this more than anything else aside from knowing it but really did i see it was bulgarian split squats yeah i remember oh, you yeah. doing that you hey, went through a, a great it. equalizer oh it, well and you know why i stayed away from it so long because i was i couldn't i couldn't hold you know what pissed me off was at the time <laughs> my girlfriend that i was dating could could do them better oh, than no. me she had I better know. mobility super ego check and she had already done bulgarian split squats all time because she wanted to build her butt and she's over there with 20 pound dumbbells and I'm like shaking like a fucking leaf doing that 10 times and I'm like I don't want to do this yeah you know what I'm saying so I bailed on. Squat. yeah <laughs> so I bailed on it and yeah. it wasn't until I really worked on my mobility performed the movement better did I really start to get good at it. then I was starting to challenge it and then I was getting to the point where I'm putting 100 200 pounds on my back and doing that shit and my legs just blew up yep. from that and what's cool When you find a a great movement like that, and you practice it like a skill, and you get a, boy, the gains come on like it reminded me when I was new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I mean, the gains that I saw from that one movement, it was—it trumped all the stuff I've been doing for three, four years that I'm hammering away at the gym. So that was something that also changed how I would approach some clients. Like, you know, I get a client in, and... They struggle with the squat like really bad. Like Just mobility is not there. They've, it's a skill they've never done before. They're weak as fuck. And instead of me as a trainer just doing that for two or three sets, moving on, and then doing all these other exercises that they can do really well, I began to dedicate the entire hour around the squat. Get We would do something. I would assess their movement, mm-hmm. tell them why they're struggling, why their ankle's rolling in, why their knee's collapsing in, why their chest is falling forward, why they can't pull their shoulders all the way back, and then saying, okay... The reason why this is uncomfortable here is because you can't pull your shoulders back here. So I want, these are the moves that are going to help that. And then I get on the I get on the ground or on the move, and I'd show them that. And then we go back and we do a, a set. And then I'd show them how they feel better. And then I would pick another part of their body part that they that was breaking down. And then I say, well, let me show you what movements will help this and get that better. Then we go back to the squat again. See how that's improved that. And I would just the whole hour is all about the squat and and getting them to understand where their body is breaking down, the things they need to do to improve all those little areas. And that that workout ends up being so much better for that person on so many levels mm-hmm. than me going through as a trainer. And, oh, they don't do that very well, so let's just do some leg press mm-hmm. and leg extensions and leg curls and some other movements.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite things to do um, and has been for a long time, one of my favorite techniques to get my body to respond is to find a movement that I suck at and then get good at it Yep. and give myself pull-ups for me Yeah. was really yeah yeah so for so like i just recently experienced it well i i've experienced it a couple times now um more recently one was with windmills couldn't do them was terrible at them got myself to the point where i could do them with a 80 pound kettlebell and man my core my stability and my core for when i deadlift you know weight whatever went through the roof then the other one was a, a snatch grip deadlift and a snatch grip script uh snatch grip uh, high pull that we did in Map Strong yeah. and my upper back. And I remember when I first did it, I'm like, I suck at this. Yeah. I'm going to give myself about five weeks. I'm going to practice this, get good at it. And so that's, that's really the key is to, you know, yes, you want to mix things up, but you want to give yourself enough time to get good at them. And so it's funny because the, 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 the thing that I wrote in that post was almost everything works, but nothing works forever. That's even true for mixing shit up. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like even mixing stuff up, that works. But if you do that the, the too, body much, adapts, it doesn't work, the body adapts. The
3: body adapts that too. Really? That <laughs> was that was my problem. Was yeah. I got good? I got in some of the best shape I ever did in my 20s, and it was through this muscle confusion, you know, ideology of training, and I saw great results. And because in my head, I'm changing exercises, I'm changing reps, I'm doing all this that I'm all, my body's always trying to change. Well, the problem is I've now taught my body that this is how it's going to yeah. get curveballs all the time at the gym. Yeah. Just survive. It's, it's never going yeah. to get great at anything. It's going to be pretty good at everything, but never great at one thing, and that, too, causes a major problem. I, I
1: remember, too, it was early on when we all first met, and you had dedicated an extend, extended a period of time at getting good at deadlifting and squatting. Yeah. And this was already when, you know, this is already, Adam, when you were already a pro. You'd already been competing. You'd already been training for a long time. I already had an amazing physique. The difference in your legs and back, and you couldn't see with your legs because you have to wear board shorts when you compete, but you sh- you would show us, your legs grew like an inch and a half, or something silly like that. Oh, which, it was more than nah, It was crazy. It, it was like maybe more like two inches, right? Yeah. Or more. And that's an insane amount of muscle to add on somebody who's already been training for a long time. Your back didn't look like the same back. There was one picture you posted, and this was all from why all from not changing exercises, but practicing and getting good at the deadlift. Your back looked like a different back. It didn't look the same at all. But
3: that's why I remember I brought up the other day where I, I got in that debate with Danny about the different movements oh, and I'm yeah. like, dude. And I know that of course this is my experience, but that's also my experience with all my clients like that I've trained in, and since then, you know, the people that I've helped out, like the the deadlift, the the amount of carryover of getting good at that skill that played in all the other exercises, and I'll I'll never forget that that day. Of heading back to the seated row after not doing a seated row for like six months. I mean, that was a staple movement. You see me in the gym carrying my jug, headphones in, wrist straps hanging off my thing. Head over to the seated row. I used to love to stack that thing. You know, get up to as much weight as I could on that thing, and you know, rowing away. And that was like my my staple back warm up. And then I would get into all my other back exercises. And I had a decent back because of my shoulder to waist ratio. And then I totally eliminated almost every back exercise except for deadlifting. I just got good at, and and all the variations of deadlifting, I should point that out too, because I was doing snatch grip deadlifts, which was a a major one Mm -hmm. for me too. And I remember going like, you know what? It's been like six plus months since I've grabbed this seated row and I grabbed that stack and moved that weight like I had never moved it in my entire life. And what blew me away, of course, the weight I was moving blew me away. But it's like this was an exercise I was really good at. I was really good at the seated row. I did it every single back workout for years and years and years and slowly watched myself, you know, inch up 15 pounds every year or so. Maybe if I was lucky of hammering away at it. And actually, I was able to eliminate it, lift, dead, get great at deadlifting Revisit it, and I was way strong. I noticed the same thing with my hamstring curls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was I was I I have always been a puss when it comes to lying leg curls. I've just never been able to do a lot of weight. My hamstrings have just so it's a weaker muscle, it's a very vulnerable position. Yes, too, right, right, right. So you know, <laughs> you I, want a spot? I'm barely I'm barely <laughs> yeah. moving 70, 80 pounds on that thing, and and uh, I've never been good at it. I, t- I totally eliminated that in there, and just from the the deadlift had so much carryover that my lying leg curls and my seated row were like you know increased by like 50 percent on both of them yeah insane and not doing them I just blew, blew my mind
1: yeah it's absolutely insane I, I'd say you know it's I, I don't I don't like to say you know uh, with a word of caution okay there's a lot of individual variants here but I'll say this your rep ranges should probably change any anywhere between every three to six weeks your exercises should change anywhere between 2 to 6 months that's those are the longer ones you keep the exercises your tempo of your reps can change when you change your reps if you want so right around the same time 3 to 6 weeks where you kind of change the the tempo um and every i'd say at least two or three times a year change your goal um you know I, I mean if you follow the maps programs it kind of works out that way because you're able to go from one program to another each program is usually three to four months long so if you follow a whole year of programs you're gonna follow anywhere between you know three to four programs um, and so that's the that's why we wrote them the way we did and the idea is to keep your body uh, progressing to avoid the plateaus because aside from stopping working out um, plateauing from poor programming is probably the most common reason why people's bodies, just don't change when they work out in the gym. They just don't change anymore.
3: And I'll, I'll take it one step further. If you're somebody who already owns one of our programs, the program that you're least likely to do or want to do will probably be the best thing for you. <laughs> of course. You. <laughs> yeah. As much as you hate to hear this. Painful to, yeah. But if you were to scroll through our our complete library of of extra, extra uh, programs, the one that looks the least appealing to you is probably the one that will give you the most amount of results. Yeah, If
1: you're the power lifter and you're looking at maps hit and you're like, oh, fuck no. Yeah, right? Fuck no. <laughs> Try that shit
3: out. Watch right. what happens And to vice mother. versa. If you're somebody who has hit and you loved hit, but you're like, strong man, I don't want to look like a strong man. I don't want to be a strong man. I don't want to train. That, that program will probably do the most for you. Exactly.
1: So. And so with that, look, go to mindpumpfree.com and check out some of our free guides. You can also find our individual Instagram pages, my page is Mind Pump Sal, Adam is Mind Pump Adam, and Justin is Mind Pump Justin.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes Maps Anabolic, Maps Performance, and Maps Aesthetic